online. You can go to www.macav.com to check those out. Uh, I'll give you, we won't be able to go, we won't obviously do a whole recap that'll take uh, a ton of time. And so we'll just be doing that every week and we'll never get through the book of Genesis. So, uh, so we won't do that. Uh, but, but what I want to do is give you, uh, hopefully, uh, some sense of recap of what's going on here. And that is, nice boots. And, um, <laughs> So here's what's happening, guys. Uh, we've been going through Genesis. In fact, I think he was telling me that when last time we, uh, last time I think the, the BG, uh, Bowling Green was here and also Michigan State, we were in Genesis like chapter four or something. So, uh, so we are the little engine that could, man. We're making it happen. Thank you so much, buddy. Um, we're, and, and by the way, I just want to encourage you guys, uh, that, that the Lord has blessed us with this relationship with these guys for a while now. They've been coming, I don't know how many years now. It's been kind of crazy. And uh, we just so appreciate uh, that reality that you guys come and help us be on mission here. I just want to say that uh, just from us, that it's cool to have the consistency. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. The consistency of the people of God doing that. Uh, so real quick, here's what's happening, guys. So you have basically uh, the book of Genesis helping us understand uh, what the Lord has done. And we were proposed to you that although I know there's different uh, theological constructs and what people believe about the first uh, couple chapters in Genesis, uh, we would propose that the main point of, you know, we believe Moses wrote it. And if you're walking around the wilderness and you're looking at Genesis chapter one, that people aren't going to be arguing um, necessarily about old earth or new earth. Um, but what they're going to be talking about is that God did it. And so so we would say they began with creation, that God did it. Um, God made all things, and then what he does, he makes all things, and then he says, I'm going to make you as a pinnacle of creation. So he makes man, and then what happens is we have the audacity to think we're going to be our own gods. Uh, and so uh, we sin against God, and God could have destroyed us all. But what he does, he begins to show us uh, just basically that the, the, the fabric of Scripture is one where he's just like, okay, there's a good God, and there's bad people, and I'm really gracious. And so that's basically uh, the theme of Scripture. And what happens is we be, he, he begins to give us proof because we begin to see all throughout the text where uh, the Scriptures say uh, in the beginning of Genesis that, that men are sinful and their only inclination is to do evil all the time. Doesn't that sound like you and me? Uh, I don't like to say Everybody's like, I guess so. I... Yes, let me help you. So, so that's you. And that's me. Right. But see, it's hard. It's hard that the Bible is brutally honest about our condition and it can make us kind of it it gets us upset. Right. Because we're prideful people. That's how we are. And we don't want to we think we're kind of good. You know, we got a little bad sprinkle in there. But God says, no, you're actually evil. And your thoughts is always to do evil all of the time. And I should have destroyed you, but I'm gracious. And so the reason why you're still here is not because you deserve it, but because I'm gracious. And then what's cool is in the Bible continues to go on. And as we look at these stories, um, as he shows us, he destroys everyone. Right. And then he says, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to keep a remnant. That means a, a select group of people that I'm going to let stay alive so that I can raise up some more people. But then they become very sinful, too. And then what God shows is that, OK, I have to do something permanent with people because me just sort of like finding a really cool guy or something who's still sinful is not going to cut it because his inclination is to do what? evil all the time too, right? And so, so God has a plan. And then what he does, he says, let me show you my plan of redemption and how it goes. And then he says, so I created all things. And now what I want to do is I want to focus on a specific aspect of creation. And that is uh, Abraham. I'm going to focus on this family here and show you what's going on with this line. And so now you get these generations, you get Abraham and he shows you Abraham. Then he shows you um, Isaac and Jacob, right? And then we go, oh my goodness, I've been reading the Bible for a long time and I see a lot of lights come on in our local body because people are going, 
I thought these guys were really, really, really cool, but they're just as crazy as me. Right. That's what we every week we come to that conclusion. Wow. Jacob's just as foul as me. And what should happen is you shouldn't get mad or scared. You should have hope because we see the sinfulness of man all throughout Scripture. And then we see these same sinful people. God called them not only patriarchs, but then they are mentioned, you know, Jacob, 800 times in the Scriptures. And and he's like one of the prototypes when you get into revelation of what God is going to do in new creation. And so. It's unbelievable that, you know, that people in the New Testament are talking about the God of Jacob. And they got, you know, mentioned in Jacob like he's cool when we're seeing all this craziness. I just say that because God is trying to help us get something that seems to be very simple, but it's extremely important. That's why God wrote 66 books. And that is he is gracious, good and faithful. And that and we go, yeah, yeah. But then we leave out of here. Right. And the next decision we make shows that we totally don't believe God is good. And then we hope that we're better than God. Right. And so that's why we come back every Sunday to say we're not crazy. The world is OK. Put it together, man. That's what we do. Right. That's that's basically what happens. The covenant community comes together to remind ourselves that we're not crazy for believing in a risen savior. Um, so so that's happening. You got Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob. And then we get closer into looking at Jacob's family and we get into this whole just 12 tribe please. Right. So so Jacob has. Uh, 12 kids, or actually he has 12 boys and a girl, okay? And then not only that, so now we beeline a little more and we get into the story of Joseph, and that's where we've been for a little bit. That's to help you guys who aren't, who aren't here. Hopefully that helps you a little bit. So we're in the story of a guy named Joseph who was one of the 12, brother, one of the, yeah, 12 brothers. And what happens is he gets a gift from the Lord where, where uh, by God's grace, he's, allow, he's allowing this guy to have favor. The brothers get jealous and say, you know what? We don't like that you're telling us dreams where we're going to worship you. We don't like that your daddy likes you better than us. Why? Because he was one of Rachel's kids and Rachel was one of Jacob's four wives. Don't try that just because it's in the Bible. Don't have four wives. But he had four wives. And 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 he really loved Rachel. And so he kind of like you could tell he really was trying to exalt uh, Joseph. And we're going to see the same thing in a moment of another son. And so the brothers say, I'm going to go ahead and kill you. I'm going to we're going to kill this guy. Well, instead, they, they're about to kill him. God is gracious. They don't kill him. They put him in a dish. They pull him out. Then they sell him. OK, to the Ishmaelites. OK, they sell him to the Ishmaelites, which is a group of people. And here's Joseph again going, what's going on? And then he gets sold to the Egyptians. This is a guy who's been seeking God, who's walking with God. And all during this time, he's being faithful the whole time. He's serving. He's in, you know, so you've heard the story of, of Potiphar's wife. OK, we did that. So you see Potiphar, who's third in command. He's serving in Potiphar's, um, Potiphar's home. He's doing awesome. Potiphar's wife wants to get with him, tries to have sex with him. He's running around saying, quit trying to have sex with me for a long time. She gets mad because he won't, he won't make love to her. She lies on him. They put him in prison. So this is all happening to a guy who's trying to seek God. What happened to prosperity theology? Right. Where's the where's the platinum Rolex and stuff? Well, so not happening. Instead, he's in prison. He's in prison for a while and he's trying to be faithful. Well, he's faithful in prison and he helps a guy with a dream and the guy totally forgets about him. So he spends many years in prison. Well, God is still gracious. There's a bigger plan for why God was doing this. But God allows the man to remember Joseph. And then he goes and grabs Joseph. Joseph tells a dream, which we were into last week, and shows that, hey, guess what? Egypt, which actually at this point was the most powerful nation in all the known world, was running things. He says, you guys are going to have a famine. 
Okay, but first you're going to have a feast. Then you have a famine. The famine is going to be almost twice more than the feast. Okay, you need to do something very wise here or the whole world will probably be destroyed. So what does Pharaoh say? Pharaoh, who's supposed to be God, right? In this time, Pharaoh thought himself to be God. Well, Pharaoh can't even interpret a dream, and he begins to submit to a a Hebrew slave. Well, he's a little God, right? So here's Pharaoh going, man, you seem like you're the only guy that has the Holy Spirit. Make sure you listen to Joseph. So all of a sudden, you got this slavery, this slave Hebrew is now second in command in Egypt. Okay? Isn't that just awesome? So here he is, second in command in Egypt. His brothers thought, you know, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to get rid of him. And here he is, second in command in Egypt. Famine's about to come. He's running things. We just saw last week, I don't know if Jay Max here, we saw last week, he actually does get the platinum Rolex. He's balling. He got a big old gold chain at the end of 41. And uh, he got a big old ring. He's got Jordans on. I mean, he's doing it, right? Big entourage, people walking around, make way for Joseph. So he's rich now. Very powerful. Um, don't think, don't leave here until my Eric said, if I walk with God, I'm going to have platinum gold. That's not what I'm saying. This happened to him. So, so he's now doing very well for himself. And now we're in chapter 42. You guys ready to rock? All right, here we go. Ask yourself as a believer, or if you're still wondering about Christ, ask yourself, what are people thinking as they're reading this text and you're OK, because they're reading this probably they're probably um, hearing these stories and not reading it yet. They're hearing these stories while they're probably in the wilderness talking about the Hebrews. OK, so what are they thinking? What do you think they're thinking? Keep that in your mind as you think of the interpretation. And remember, we're not going to get to the big uh, we're not going to get to the main interpretation yet, because it's probably not necessarily in these passages. It's further down the road. But there will be some implications in the text that we'll bring out. OK, guys. Verse four, verse one. Can you help me? Can you make sure he's rocking it? Thanks, buddy. Okay. Uh, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, uh, he said to his sons. Okay. So what happened? Uh, just to let you guys know, is um, the famine did, did not just hit Egypt. It hit the whole. It hit the whole known world. Okay. So it's outside the scale of Egypt, right now in the land of Canaan. And this is Jacob. Okay. The kind of hungry, right? And it says, when Jacob learned, again, he's, he's part of that story, that redemptive story that God des- des- decided by his grace to be lying on, third generation from Abraham. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, uh, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued. Um, I love that. I love the sense of like, they're all kind of like, he's like, man, ain't we hungry? Why don't y'all get us some food? Right. So this is talking to his sons. He continued. I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. So he took the old brother to tell these, these young brothers this. Go down there and buy some food for us so that we may live and not die. He's like, come on, we've got to get some food. We're starving. Verse three. Uh, then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, uh, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Well, why was he afraid that harm might come to Benjamin, but not the rest of them? If I was one of them brothers, I'd be like, what's up with that, Pops? When you, you ever think of that when you read the text? There's 11 brothers, but he wants to keep one back. What do you guys think? There we go. Who said that? Caleb? Okay, so here's the other son of Rachel. So it could be he just want to make sure that he has a son from each of his brides. Okay, that could be. I'm proposing. I don't think that's necessarily the, the case. All throughout the text, as we've studied, what have we seen? Super Super high, high on Rachel and obviously showing favoritism, which is actually I propose to all of us as parents, moms, specifically as a man, dads, that there is great weary when you show favoritism to your kids. That's just an implication. That's not 
straight biblical interpretation, but I think there's something to learn there. Because they don't, because they, I propose they, they don't just not like Joseph just because he told them a dream they didn't like. Okay, these people, I mean, we, we think of this stuff like it's a comic book, you know. They're doing history. These guys are growing up together. This is, this stuff happened. So you imagine you're with a guy, and they're always, every time you see, he's always like, no, Joseph, you learn this. Y'all go play, and you kind of call on this guy. You kind of get frustrated, and eventually you want to kill him. So, not me, I'm just saying in general. So, um, verse so it says the ten brothers went down, uh, went down to buy grain from Egypt. He kept his, uh, the brother. Verse five. I'm sorry. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Uh, now, Joseph was the governor of the land. He's big time now. Uh, the one who sold grain to all its people. OK, so when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the were, uh, with their faces to the ground. Remind you of anything, guys? Remind you of the dream. All right. There's my exegetes. OK. Verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. So why do you think they couldn't recognize him? We talked about it last week. I mean, he's probably, he probably looks like an Egyptian. He's in the land. He's been there. This ain't like last week. He's been there years. Okay, guys, remember? So, so he's been there years, and there's going to be some key indicators of seeing that he's been there for years because I'm proposing that he's going to know their language. OK, so he's, gonna know, so he's been there for years and he's probably got the like the jewelry on, whatever they wear, you know, got his all hooked up goatee thing. You know, I don't know what they do. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. So you put all that, get a little tan. I don't know. You, you know, and next thing you know, you're like, who's his brother? So. OK, so he said, says from the land of Canaan, he asked, where do you come from? They replied to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brother, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dream, verse nine, about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. So he's kind of testing these guys. Verse 10. Not, no, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. Uh, we are all the sons. I'm sorry. We are all the sons of one man. Uh, your servants are honest men, not spies. No. Verse 12, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. We're going to read a lot of text. So I want you to be in the story with me. All right. Don't fall. Don't daydream. Go there with me, guys. Verse 13. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Now, can you imagine being Joseph and hearing that? Now, remember, we said it's been many years. OK, uh, we're talking in the realm of 13 to 20 years. I'm, I'm proposing a latter edge of 20 years. All right. OK, he's a teenager. This guy has been this is I mean, he hasn't seen these guys in a very long time. OK, because remember, there's been a feast. So we're not talking. So you had 13 years from the from the prison time and then you add the seven years of the feast. And now we're dealing with the famine. OK, so he's been kicking it with the Pharaoh for about seven years at least. Right, guys, as you do the math. So that's how long it's been since you've seen your brothers. And then they, they, they still bring up the fact that, you know, they don't know it's him. You know, there's one who's not with us anymore. He's like, yeah, I know that one of y'all ain't with you. Me. You know what I'm saying? And so Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. Verse 15, guys. And this is how you will be tested as surely as. Pharaoh lives. You will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. 
The rest of you will be kept in the prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And, and he put them all in custody for three days. Verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Very, very uh, unlikely that an Egyptian person would talk about fearing God. They would talk about fearing Pharaoh. So I think that's out of another litmus point, litmus point that I think he, he was a part of the culture, influencing culture, but did not compromise himself. Verse 21, guys. They said to one another, look at this, guys. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his for, uh, with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. 20 years. They st- I mean, it, is, it just seems so fresh to them. It seems like it, this really affected them more than we could perceive. Right? I mean, 20 years, you would think they would think there's another reason why this, this is happening to them. But yet they distinctly say, hey, remember what we did to our brother? That was foul. And God is punishing us. I'm proposing this is we're starting to see some brokenness. And I think we're going to see a little more of that in a moment. Verse 22. Reuben replied. Remember Reuben, guys? That's the Mandrake man. All right, guys. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Um, now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Okay, so he's using an interpreter. Why? Because so the guy that he's talking Hebrew interpreter talks to him in Egyptian. Right. And says, this is what they're saying. Okay, so he knows what they're saying anyway. Right. And so uh, but he's used. So he's got it all set up where he looks like an Egyptian. Right. And and James knows something about that being in Germany and stuff, doing that for for his company. Um, So it says in verse 24, he turned away from them and began to weep. But then he turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. You can just tell the pain. He just had to, he had to, he had to pause. He had to go, get away and say, oh, man. I mean, just think of the pain. Your brothers did this to you. And so you're trying to hold it together. And, you, and I'm thinking for me, I don't know about you, how, what would you do at this moment? For me, like, would, you, would you try to pay him back in a, like, in a harmful way? I mean, it seems like he's just trying to almost, as we're going to see the text, almost like get to him a point of, of humility and repentance. Versus, I mean, I don't know, maybe, I mean, on a good day, if I'm really walking with the Lord, maybe I would have done that. But, but man, I mean, I think in, in my flesh, man, to want to just say, I want to pay you back for what you did to me. I love the character of this man. So, uh, verse 25, uh, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. He's still, he's still gracious uh, to put each man's silver back in his sack. Didn't even charge for it. And to give them provisions for their journey and gave them some food. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. Verse 27, at the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of the sack. My silver's been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Why is God doing Like, we okay, Lord, almost like, okay, we're sorry. Like, please. Oh, because now, can you imagine? You got this food and stuff, but now you still got the dough. You know? And so you're thinking, what's going to happen to me if I see this guy again? Verse 29. When they came to their, so there's a lot of text, guys. When they came uh, to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him 
all that had happened to them. They said, verse 30, the man who was Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But when, but we said to him, we are honest men. We're not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who was Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are an honest man, honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. Look, it says, as, as they were emptying their sacks, uh, uh, there in each man's sack was a pouch of silver. Uh, when, they, when they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me. Uh, my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Verse 37. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of uh, the chains. So this is Reuben. Mandrake guy says, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you and trust him to my care. And I will bring him back. Is there a problem with what he said there? If you uh, how about this? If you're Reuben's son, is there a problem with what he said there? You're like, why don't you put yourself up for ransom? <laughs> but this speaks to the dude's character that we're seeing consistently as we've, as we've studied the text. There's something very interesting about good old Reuben. Um, but Jacob said, my son would not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Okay? So, um... Check this out. We in verse um, chapter 43, it says, now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. So time has gone on. Right. And it's very interesting that they knew what they should have done um, from the beginning. Right. They needed to go back and figure out and get get their son and, and do what he told them to do. But they wouldn't do it. And it was almost as if God had to force them pragmatically. How? They had no more food to eat. So I, if I'm the brother who's, all, who's tied up over in Egypt land, I'll be mad, right? You, you got to have to starve before you come save me? That's jacked up. So, so they, they're like, we ain't got no more food. I guess we need to think about what we're going to do, right? So it was really an issue of self-preservation and God being gracious in the midst of that. Uh, verse 3, but Judah said to him, and look at Judah now. Judah, get, you know, we've given Judah kind of a bad rap. You know, we've seen his life. We've seen some of the things that have happened to Judah. And it says, uh, uh, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Verse four, if you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. OK, so Judah's sort of recapping, recapping what happened during that time. By the way, if you're a visitor here, we usually don't go through this much text, but I blew it last week. And we need to get out of here or people are going to leave the church. So I got to get a big chunk. I got to do a big chunk today. Okay, guys? Uh, so be, be, so just uh, deal with me. And most importantly, no, seriously, most importantly, I felt like it would be unfaithful to chop this up because this, is, this seems to be a big narrative here. And so I wanted to understand what was going on in the narrative and then get to the one or two main points at the end of the story. So that's the goal. Okay, guys? So I need you to stick with me here. Um, verse 6. It says, Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? I love that he got kind of street on him. You know you've done this, right? He's like, so, you know, if you imagine the one guy, you know, you get stopped by the police or something, you know, and, and the guy's like, I don't have any marijuana, you know. He's like, 
I didn't say you didn't have marijuana. You got marijuana? It's like, that's what, well, I'm sorry. That, that, that's my example, all right? I'm a past, all right? Like, don't judge me, all right? I'm a Christian now. But, but, um, but yeah, you, I mean, he's like, why are you telling me you had a brother, dude? Like, you didn't ask. You know, you just told him all the information. What's up with that? So, um, verse 7. It says, uh, they replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. Um, how were we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Uh, then Judah, and I like how Judah steps up here. It's some, some good stuff. Said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once uh, so that we and you, I'm sorry, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. Verse nine, I myself will guarantee his safety. He steps up here. You can hold me personally responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you. I will bear the blame before you all my life as it is if we had not delayed, right? If we have done what he said back in the day, we could have gone and returned a couple times, twice. Verse 11. So I love that Judah steps up there. Very different. I love that the Lord allows us to see through the, through the narrative, through the, through the author, uh, basically two people having the same conclusion with different ways, means of going about doing it. One wants to give his sons as a ransom. The other says, take me. Which I think speaks to, hopefully, uh, uh, the courage that hopefully a man needs to have just as far as the implication of the text. Hopefully we're learning some wisdom there. Because actually we see uh, Jacob respond. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, uh, some spices, myrrh, some, some pistachio nuts and almonds, right? You know, get some lip balm from Sarah, you know what I'm saying? Get some nuts, you know what I'm saying? We're going we're to we're make this thing right. So uh, verse 12, uh, take double the amount of silver with you, uh, for you must return the silver that was put back in the month, uh, the miles of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Um, take your brother also and go. He said, perhaps it was a mistake they, they did that. So this is believe the best. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother um, and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, I'm bereaved. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Um, it says in verse 15, so the men took the gifts and uh, doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, uh, he said to the steward of his house, brother got a steward of his house, right? Uh, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal and prepare dinner. Uh, they are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Uh, I love this. Now, now the men were frightened uh, when they were taken to his house. I mean, you imagine that. So you go. I mean, again, it's like it's like if you are going somewhere, you know, you're going to this. Uh, he says, come back and, you know, give me the stuff. And you remember you met him probably in some some like neutral quarters, like some place where he did judgment. You know, now he wants to be coming to his house. You thinking it's going to be like, you know, I've seen that law and order. You know, I'm going to get beat down. Something's going to happen. You know, you're kind of nervous for sure. Um, and so um, it says. Uh, the man did, did as he said, and it says, and, um, uh, they thought we were, we were brought, I'm sorry, now they were frightened when uh, they were taken to his house. They thought we were brought here because of the silver that was p put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as, sl as slaves and take our donkeys. 
Yeah, I'm sure. This rich, yes. I mean, it's like, you know, Bill Gates, like, beating you up and taking your Honda. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, dude, I'm rich. You know what I'm saying? So, um, verse 19. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Please, sir. So they, 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 they're, they're nervous. So they're like, well, okay, I need to be able to plead to somebody. So they get to the first guy and they're like, hey, man, let me just tell you what happened. Please, sir. They said, we came down here the first time to buy food, uh, but at the place uh, where we stopped for the night, uh, we, op- uh, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of a sack. Uh, and so we have brought it back with us. Uh, we have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We do not know who put our silver in our sacks. So they're very nervous. He's like, look, calm down, fellas. Uh, verse 23, it's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Um, your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them again. Um, I think there's a litmus test, guys. As you as you're reading the text, there uh, notice that the guy doesn't say. He says, "Your God, the God of your father." So there's all there's this distance of like, well, that, that God you believe, but obviously Joseph been saying something because the dude realized that he doesn't believe his God, but he has his own God, which I think speaks to uh, the the character of Joseph again. That the that his servant, who is I guarantee you, is Egyptian, understood that Joseph served a different God. Okay. So we were having, if you weren't if you here, we were just discussing, like, was he compromising being an Egyptian and, and celebrating their culture? And I was just proposing not at all. Say again? Yeah, so people are wondering, yeah, he's working for Pharaoh. He's in the Egyptian land. Like, he, they changed his name. He has an Egyptian wife. Like, what's up with this brother? And so I suppose, and I don't think necessarily that he, that he uh, compromised, so... Um, I'm sorry, guys. So in verse 24, the steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival, or Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were uh, to eat there. A few more verses. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. Verse 27, he asked them how they were. And they said, and then he said, um, how is your how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. Uh, and they bowed low to pay him honor. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, and he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went to his private room and wept there. You see that? It's a flood of emotion. Like as, as much as you can, when you're reading the scriptures, they are, it's, again, this, this all happened. Try and place yourself there as a man who's been treated the way he is treated. And now you're in a position of power in a place that you're in. And then you're right in front of the individuals who probably, probably hurt you the most in this 20-year journey. You know, and now it's all coming back. Verse 31, after he had washed his face, he came out, controlling himself, said, serve the food. Uh, they served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews. Isn't that interesting? He's second in command, and still they got this law, you know, where they couldn't eat together. So there was still, like, racism going on in the journey, even though he was, like, big time. Um, for that is attestable to Egyptians. So they got to do the second in command, but it's attestable to eat with them. Uh, the men had uh, been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest. 
And they looked at each other in, the, in astonishment. You know, they're kind of like, what in the world? Because they, they're starting to see all this, right? They're starting to see they're being blessed. And they came here and they're thinking, we're about to get beat down. Who knows what's about to happen? And they're seeing, you know, food. And they're all of a sudden seeing, you know, sit down. They're washing them. They're cleaned up. You know, no one's worried. They remember what the guy just said. Hey, we, we know we got, we got you. We gave you the silver. That's all cool. So they're starting to put two and two in together. And they're just kind of like, what is going on? Really? What is going on? Uh, when portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. <laughs> so, they feast, so they feasted and drank freely with him. Now, some theologians, you guys did it. Amen. Y'all still out? Sweet. Y'all all right? Okay. Um, so here's, here's what's interesting about this text here. Look, hey, don't miss, that, don't miss that ending there. The ending is very interesting because um, some, uh, many theologians see that last part as a huge test. And here's why. Okay, so imagine that. So for their whole life, um, the reason why, one of the main reasons I think we can propose, the reason why they probably dis, uh, despised Joseph was because of the favoritism piece. Was because for whatever reason, uh, whether good or bad, someone was being favorite, was being chosen as a favorite. Okay. Well, what's happening right here? What's happening at the end there? Very clearly, right? Right. And 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 now remember, they still don't know who he is. They don't know that he understands their language. Okay. And so all of a sudden, he brings out steak. You know, he brings out corned beef. You name it. All this stuff. Lamb. She's like, let's get historical, brother. Lamb. <laughs> Thank you, Betty. And <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> and um, can you imagine you got one lamb chop, one lamb chop, five lamb chops? You know what I'm saying? You know, you get, you know, one piece of cupcake, one piece of cupcake, five cupcakes. Right? Every time. And what's very interesting is their attitude is totally different. It seems like they're just like, wait a minute, we feasted, we were excited, we just hung out. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of um, the sense of uh, Matthew 20. Uh, when, uh, one of my favorite, where it talks about how, how what Jesus does is he gives us, he says, I've given this promise. I have these workers in the field. And I promised the ones in the beginning of the day a certain amount. Okay? And then they get to work, right? And, um, and actually, uh, this, I heard this passage from my boy Kev. This was this, in the cool rendition of it. It was interesting. He was talking about, my, one of the buddies of mine was talking about, like, it's like having pizza. Like, so you say, hey, I'm going to let you work in the field. I'm going to give you, you know, let's go back to money. I'm going to give you 100 bucks. You go, man, that's a, that's a good deal. So you're totally cool with it, right? So you work all day. You can get 100 bucks. That's a plan, right? That's good. That's fair. But then, you know, at, five, at 450, at 4.50, they, they hire 10 more people. And they say, hey, can you, can you clean for 10 minutes? But I'm going to give you 100 bucks. Okay? The workers get mad. But why are they mad? They're still getting $100. Because they're not mad because of what they're not getting. They're mad that someone else is getting blessed. You see? And so what's interesting about favoritism sometimes is favoritism, obviously, there's, there's, there's a great argument. Obviously, you can have wrong favoritism. But it seems that there's something about trusting the Lord in the midst of how everybody else is being treated. And I go, well, what about him? What about, and, and trusting the Lord. And it seems that almost like, was Joseph just like, hey, I'm a, I'm, you know what? This is my brother. I'm going to hook him up. And you guys better not be pulling that same, well, we're going to kill Benjamin now stuff in Hebrew. 
Because if I hear that, it's on. But can you imagine? Oh, he gets five. I mean, do you not think the flood of emotion that Joseph would have had of how he was treated? Do you not think he'd have went, wait a minute. And he probably would have got out of character and everything and started cussing on Hebrew. Who knows what happened? I don't know. Right? I'm not advocating that. I'm just telling you what historical what happens historically. So don't send me emails and stuff. So who knows what would have happened? So I wonder if it was a test. I mean, again, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if it was a test um, where he was trying to say, I want to see if their hearts are really broken. I want to see if, they're, if they've changed at some level. And maybe because they're just excited to get a steak sandwich or not, who knows. But at some level, they didn't respond in a disparaging way. And I think it was a blessing. So that's just as far as this, um, just some things I, just in the, in the last part. But what I want to do now is talk about um, a few things. Can you pop up real quick for me, Eve? When you think about influence, we, we talk a lot about influence in our community. What, what, basically, the, the, the crux of this passage is threefold. First, we're going to deal with the reality of influence, okay? I think we can be fair to say we see God use Joseph to go to a foreign land and have influence. And we talked last week about influence, and you guys gave me a hard time and made fun of me a little bit, power brokers and, excuse me, things of that sort. But when you think of what Joseph is doing, he's in this land, um, he's, in a, he's in a place that, you know, he doesn't really know. And then he's saying, how do I be an influence? And we talked about there's two aspects of influence. I wish we would have had the board here, but there is a reality of, of being an influence where, where you're kind of like upstream and you're influencing culture at, in, in its milieu, like you're influencing, you're, you're calling the shots. And then there's communal influence where in a community where you are, you can have an influence. Um, obviously, Joseph is a huge power broker, so he has influence at a higher level. Um, we are in this community. We live here. We neighbor here. And the question I wanted to ask you guys is what ways are we going to influence this community? What ways are we influencing this community? What ways are we realizing, and we're not talking about we as in Mac Ave, but covenant community, people who love Jesus. What are ways that we're doing that? And so I, I want to say, because one thing we wanted to do, I think for a while, you know, I would teach or someone would teach up here top shelf theology. And then we wouldn't spend a lot of time practically saying what exactly are some things we can do. And so we're trying to take risks here and figure out how do we actually take some things, write them down as a people of God and wrestle with what are we doing so that we can be more strategic. OK, so here's a few things that I that I was thinking of um, as we try to influence our community. OK. Prayer and fasting. Um, I don't. If you guys are new to uh, understanding what fasting is, I mean, we talk about prayer a lot, but but I feel like we need to um, we need to be praying and seeking the Lord uh, for our neighbors, and we need to be praying for our community more. Uh, maybe I'm talking from guilt because I don't do it as much as I need to be doing it. But man, the Lord is really breaking my heart and helping me understand. Like, we need to be praying for our community that Christ will be known, that we will make much of the Lord here, but also our covenant community. I, I just uh, I've been talking with Sarah. I'm going to um, try to see which day, but I'm going to enter into a, a, a pretty extensive fast pretty soon. And the only reason I tell you that, because if I start losing weight, don't think like I'm, you know, on drugs or something like I want you guys don't be starting rumors. Be praying for a brother. Um, but 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 fasting, I, I just feel like there's in our body right now. Um, I look at our mat groups and man, we are fighting. And one thing I'm seeing is there's there's people in, in, in as we're in community, I feel like there's just like these there's these speed bumps, there's these huge bumps that and for some of us it's just hard for us to get over the hurdle. And I'm just asking the Lord, Lord, would you allow our body to have some victory? Are you feeling me? 
I just, I, I, I can go around to different mad groups and I'm just like, I want people to be experiencing God, like as, you, as you're walking with the Lord and you're saying, man, I have sexual addictions here. And then actually begin to see God give you victory. Not just so that you can say, I don't sin in that area anymore, but so that we could be free to enjoy the Lord. And so I, I just, I just, I just want our body to not give up. And I want us to fight. And so, man, I want to encourage you guys. I'll talk, talk to you about it next week. I want you to, I want you to really pray about um, us fasting together. If you want to fast, that would be great. But asking the Lord, Lord, would you be gracious? And we don't, we know we can't, his arm is too strong. We're not trying to say, if I do this thing, I get to manipulate God. But I just want to go to the Lord and say, Jesus, would you just do a work in us? Would you allow us to experience you at a deep level so that we are not so navel-gazing where we can't even bless the people in our community because we're so about, well, all this, I got to do this, I got to get perfect, I got to do my thing. But we learn to live motivated by God's grace and we learn to be not consumers and we be in each other's lives and we receive rebuke graciously and then we ask the Lord to transform us and we, we're okay with endurance. So, I'm praying for that. Um, that's one big thing. Block club meetings. You guys, we all have block club meetings in our community. Are you doing a block club meeting? I don't know. But man, that's a great way. Um, in, in a village, uh, you have hack parties. They're basically uh, like these little parties. If you live in West or, or Indian Village, you sh- uh, we should be making some of those. Uh, Sarah and I, we don't make many. And now we're like, you know what? We need to be very strategic and not only making a few, but then we want to host one. And so what is it like for us to to be engaged in our neighbors. Remember, we talk about that reality of making Christ known, proclaiming Christ unapologetically, um, and while doing so, uh, just letting people know, if you don't love Jesus, that doesn't mean we say, well, now you're the enemy. Well, we both still want good for this community. So I want you, as Paul said, apart from these chains, to be a Christian. But guess what? We also know that we, I love the city, you love the city, let's love the city together. Uh, community meetings, cleanup committees. I know uh, the people getting Betty all caught up in clean up Pingree. And so she'll be, I don't know, she'll probably be the mayor of Pingree soon. Who knows what's going to happen there? Start a, start a, start, starting a business. You know, like and some of you guys got all these ideas and you're scared to just step out and say, all right, it's on. Like starting a business in this community, you know, and, and that's what we, uh, we need to apologize as a staff team. We have, man, it's because our... We are just trying to figure out how to do this whole Mac building thing. But, man, we have been so la- like laissez-faire on this Mac building. And it breaks my heart because you guys haven't seen any movement on that building in a year. And that's because of, of our leadership. And so I stand and apologize. The Lord has really done a work in us in the, lo- uh, the last few few months of, of, of really just showing us that reality. And so we're going to take some steps now. Look, we're going to do something with this building. We're going to keep it just being empty for this long because I want it to be on mission for the Lord. I know you guys are ready to do something with your building. So just know that's coming up real soon. OK, guys, um, prayer meeting on your block. When are you starting a prayer meeting on your block? Is there a prayer meeting? If not, what does it look like to start one? Game nights on your block. Can you imagine having a game night coming together um, and having a reassessment time, you know, thinking, sitting back and going in your mat groups and saying, so have we done anything? How's it working? How are we having an influence? Continue on, please. Eric. Um, I put make, make much of Christ through Mac Ave. Like, and the thing is, it's like, man, like, I don't want you guys. I want you guys to be talking about Mac Ave, not because we just want more butts in the seat. The reality is we want the gospel here. You guys are, are crazy for Christ. You're hustling for Jesus. 
I want people to experience the love that's in this body. I want people to experience the commitment that I see in the people of God here. I think you're the most amazing people I've ever been a part of. And so people, I want us to make much of Christ through MacAv. Man, tell cats what the Lord is doing in MacAv, what he's doing in your groups, what he's doing in the community through this local body. Be inviters. I'm blown away at like how these different enclaves are great inviters. Like our medical students, I mean, all these medical students coming here, these Teach for America people. We got to be inviters in our community and wherever we are in our space and in our rhythm. Okay, guys? Um, we always tell you guys this. You, don't, you haven't listened to me yet, but I'm telling you, it's really cool. Summer, winter plan. Because uh, what happens if you don't have a plan, you get really depressed in the winter because you feel this pressure because we're such a missional church. And so when you're not doing mission in this church, you start feeling like you're something's weird. And, and so now we've got to teach you like to be motivated by grace. And I feel weird. But until then, I think you should have a plan so that, you know, in the summer you live outside your house. In the winter, you're building those connections with people you met during the summer. And you're making sure that you're grafting yourself theologically like a squirrel just sticking your mouth full of nuts. So that while you're going around... You know, in the winter, you just like, you know, eating on that nut. You know what I'm saying? All right. So. All right. I work with a brother. His knowledge is, you know, they don't work out like I want them to. All right. But you know what I mean? And. And the thing and you know, it's true. Right. And if you, if you build like be outside your house in the summer, kick with people, build relationships, connect, experience God's grace. And then when the wintertime, when it's cold, it's hard when you stand on someone's porch and it's 10 degrees, 20 degrees, and you get, got the door open. I mean, you know how bizarre and weird that is. Like, like be strategic about your time, fam. Uh, and, then, and then think about spending intentional time of getting yourself out of a rut. I mean, you need, literally, you need to plan that time. Because what I've seen in the game about, you know, 15 years is that you'll be sharing your faith, enjoying the Lord, discipling people. And then you'll be like, man, I ain't talked to nobody about Jesus in about a month. And then what happens is instead of like experiencing God's grace, dusting yourself off by the power of the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, so what now? What does it look like for me to get back in the game? We are in that rut for a while. And so guys are having to spend time in the word two, three months because you can't get out of the rut because you haven't because you think like, why am I in a rut? There's something wrong with me. No, this is this is a long journey. This is an endurance race. And so I want to encourage you. Ruts are going to happen. Be ready for them. And when they happen, be strategic. Okay, I'm in a rut right now. All right, let me be prayed up. Let me talk to my people. Let me make and, and be strategic about understanding. Guess what? I guarantee you guys. I mean, I hate to be Debbie Downer. You're going to get into some ruts. You know what I'm saying? So even be strategic about that reality and don't let it get you to the point where it's just a downward spiral. Um, contact folder in your discipleship binder so that you, you know, how many contacts have we lost? How many people have we talked to about the Lord and we don't know? What their number is, where they are. It shouldn't be like that, fam, right? Let's just think about that and say, okay, well, let me get a phone. Let me put it, you know, and I get some name and bloop. And now I look at those names, I can call people and I can continue to build those connections. Let's talk about being an influence in our community. Uh, grieve normalcy. <laughs> Again, it seems like a downer issue, but I'm just being honest here. We come here, guys, and we're in our neighborhood and we're neighboring here. And what happens is we think, oh, like, it's easier to connect with people in our body because it's dependable. They're going to actually come, right? They're going to come and they're not going to have weed, you know? And, I mean, you know, all the different things that we struggle with as we are in our community serving our Lord. And so you need to understand we are serving here and you got to get rid of normalcy and just understand and understand our culture. Um, 
And don't discount yourself. I see this a lot with our uh, with our people in our body, especially some of our, our, our African-Americans who are who are stepping up and our change agents are saying, hey, we're in this community. We're going to serve. And we begin to think, well, I got stuff and drama in my life. I can't do anything right now. That's a lie. And so I don't discount yourself. If you're in this body, and you're in discipleship. We see you as a leader. And we're asking you, and you might be in a different stage, we're asking you to be growing and experiencing God's grace, but God's grace is perfecting, it's going somewhere. And so let's make sure that we understand like, that we all have dignity, value, purpose, and worth, and that we want it, when the time is right, to be God's vessel for his glory. Let me continue on because of time. And then, and then some of you guys, what are your goals while you're here? Some of us are long-term, we're here. Some of you guys know you're going to be here two years, and you've been very upfront, and that's totally cool. But ask yourself, what are your goals while you're here? What are you trusting Jesus for while you're here? Like, are you asking the Lord to see one or two people come to Christ? Are you asking the Lord to build a legacy that you might disciple two people and they might be discipling by the time you leave? Don't just come here, come to Mac Ave groups and, you know, and do a little outreach and go and feel real good about yourself. Right. But I, I want to encourage you to take time and say, OK, I'm here. I'm here for this duration. If you know that, I just ask the Lord to give you the grace to say, so now what am I asking the Lord to allow me to leave when I leave? I know that's what you want. And I'm just encouraging you. It happens when you're actually strategic. Is that helpful, guys? Continue on, guys. So. So when you think of the text here. That, that's just in the sense of seeing Joseph be a, a change agent. Um, continue on. Just throw it up, please. Thank you. Is the question you've got to ask yourself from this text is, is, uh, is God good? You know? Um, continue on, please. Um, is God good? And I, and I say that because, think about this. We've seen him, we've seen Jacob have a pretty hard life. Is that fair? Right? So he experiences the promise of God, but does it look good externally? Kind of, a little bit, maybe not. Esau, he's not a believer. Is he balling? Is he doing well? Yes, he's rich. He's doing great, right? He has a lot of common grace, but he's missing the true treasure. He doesn't have any saving grace. Okay, so he's really doing horrible. But But in your eye, your human eye, you think, wow, he's a believer, jacked up life. He's an unbeliever, really cool life. Okay. Joseph, believer, how was his life? Pretty bad. Human eye, wow, look at all this drama, slavery, prison, honey trying to chase you around the house naked, all this craziness, right? All this stuff. But then what happens in the latter half of his life? How's his life now? And he's doing well in the eyes of the world. Okay. So you got all these different lives. And you got different, you, as you look at their life, you got a believer who looks like he's doing well, he's following God, and God has blessed him. You got a believer who's following God, and God has blessed him, but you can't see it. You got an unbeliever who God has, has blessed in the eyes of the world, common grace, but actually he's doing horribly because he's spiritually dead. What does that tell you about understanding God's goodness? God's goodness in our lives, is never dependent on circumstances. And we got to get that. Because what God is showing us practically in this example, as we look through these lives, is, is that, guess what? It's not if you have the car, if you have the money, if you have the stuff. 
It's only if you have Jesus. And so the treasure is not the stuff. The promise is not the happiness. The promise, although hard, even in my family, is not the safety. The promise is the treasure. And the treasure is Christ. So, so that is what's so hard. Because if there's no Christ, there's no treasure. And so if God is really good, then he will say, I'm going to fulfill my promise. Well, what is this promise? I'm going to give you Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you Jesus, and I'm going to give you covenant community. I'm going to give you, he says, I'm going to, you're going to have houses and daddies and mommies, and, and you're going to have Christ. Oh, he gives you one more promise. And persecution. He says, and people are going to really hate you. Come follow me. That's what he says. So now, in the midst of all that, the question we have to ask is, is God good? See, the thing about Joseph that we can learn practically is God was, he was saying that God was good when everything was horrible and when everything was good. Because it wasn't based on those equations. It was based on a promise that Israel's God was his God. And see, repentance, turning to Christ is the only solution to our folly and sin. That's what the stories keeps trying to show us. Is that it wasn't just Esau having money that made him good. And it wasn't, it wasn't the stuff that Joseph got that made him good. Here's the reality. For all of us, if we're believers now, praise the Lord. If you're not, understand this. Is that when you see these stories, what it's showing is that sin and folly leads to death. All right? And that, and that the, only, the only answer to sin and folly in all of our lives is Jesus. Is that what, what, what the answer to sin is that you and I have a savior where God says, I could have killed you, but I've given you mercy and I brought Jesus to live a life and die and rise for you. And that now if you will quit trying to play around and be your own God, but submit to me, submit to the lamb that was slain, understand that I am the savior of the world. Give your life to me. He says, now you will experience that promise that I've given the world. You experience that peace because now you have it in Christ, because now you are a son of God. And you will be of Jesus forever. That's the treasure. That's the hope. That's why we're here. That's why we're commissioned to be on mission. That's what life is all about. And we pray that you get that. If you're in here right now, you're still wondering, what, is, what does this mean about the Savior? And my fear is some of you guys hear this every week, and you still live like nominal unbelievers. Where it's really about your money in your stuff, in your family, in your job, and you don't even get it, is that when you do when we, when we do that, we're spitting at the cross. Because Christ said, I've changed all that. I finished it. You don't have to work anymore. That's what we're seeing in chapter 42 and 43. We're seeing a man who gets blessed, but in his mind, that wasn't his blessing. We're seeing relationships beginning to be healed, not because they became better people, but because the answer to sin is always only in God. And God is revealed to us in Jesus, our Savior. We're going to have tithe and offering, okay? Um, here's what we do in this body, guys. If you are new here, we ask you to keep your wives and your purses to your sides. We thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. We hope that you learn more about Christ. Um, we hope that you will be making much of Christ and we ask that you would do that. Now, if you are MacAver, you get what this is. This is an aspect of worship, so please worship your Lord. Um, we want to ask you guys, uh, you want Frank to come? Frank, they want you back there. If you are a visitor here and you get that this is an aspect of worship, 
uh, we ask that you participate. We don't want to hinder that. We just want to make sure that you see this as an aspect of worship and not um, giving out of compulsion. Um, so we ask that the, those that know Jesus, that you would um, give to the Lord. Let me pray for us, guys. And just remember, if you're a visitor, you can go ahead and throw your yellow card in the box. Dear Lord, thank you for providing for us. We love you. We ask that you would uh, be exalted through the resources. Lord, you're so good. We pray that you would guide us, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please give to your Savior.